Hey folks, it's Mike from Profiling Evil. I've been studying criminal behavior for more than 40 years, and one of my favorite research tools is Truthfinder. It's online, and you're not going to believe the information stored there. So if you want to know more about that new neighbor, your babysitter, or your online date, give Truthfinder a try. I'm including a special link below with special discount pricing, but you got to click the link and enter Evil 10 at checkout. Now, we're an affiliate, which means we get a small commission, but you can cancel at any time. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Profiling Evil Podcast. Today, I'm talking with Frank Parlato, an investigative journalist who was also an insider and a publicist for imprisoned Keith Renari, the leader of Nexium. Uh, you've heard about this cult and how it reportedly enslaved its members, forcing them into sexual slavery, forced labor, and criminal racketeering. Well, even from jail, his followers reportedly continue to recruit new members, protest against prosecutors who pursued them, and they visit the convicted uh, leader in jail. <laughs> He's sitting there on a 120-year prison sentence. Well, let's talk about Nexium and Keith Ranieri. Frank, welcome to the podcast, and thank you so much for taking time to join me. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me here. Well, I, you know what? I think our listeners are really going to learn a lot uh, as we go along about you, it, it, just as you sit and share your story, which I think is just absolutely incredible. But uh, let's jump right in. What What was your role in the takedown of Nexium? Well, um, I had been their publicist at one time and uh, helped them to solve a number of their problems. They fired me, and a few years later, they went after me, uh, filing a criminal complaint against me. So I took it upon myself to um, investigate and write about them, having a little bit of information and then adding to it by my investigative reports. And um, <clears throat> one day I got a significant break in the investigation when Catherine Oxenberg, the actress, some may know her from the television show Dynasty, called me and said, my daughter is a sex slave. <clears throat> She's 25 years old, and she has been branded with Keith Raniere's initials and branded on her groin. And um, she can't escape because they are holding blackmail-worthy material over her head. And... Um, at first, I didn't believe that that could be true or that if it was true, it needed to be vetted, which I did. And I investigated, found out that it was true and that it was not only her daughter, but 105 other women were being held as um, members of a secret sorority that was connected to the group Nexium, secretly run by this Keith Ranieri. I wrote the story and followed up with other stories, and it cratered the cult. You know, uh, Frank, I mean, it's it's mind-boggling, number one, to, to hear this and to hear the extent that this had gone to 105 uh, victims that that we know of. Uh, but you were on the inside, and you had no idea this was going on. Well, that's true. I didn't know the extent of the um, 
And I was never a member of Nexium. I was never in the group. I was merely a paid consultant. And frankly, they weren't doing the extreme activities at that time. I left, I was fired in 2008. It was not until 2017 that I got the story. I spent years dogging this group. You know, Frank, I'm I'm just kind of blown away as I'm sitting here listening. You and I have had a lot of talks about cult behavior, cult recruiting tactics, other kinds of things associated with with cults. Do you think it would have been a different outcome for you had you first been groomed and converted to the the ideology of the group and actually uh, were a was a participant rather than a paid consultant to go and help them with their, their publicity? I imagine it would have been different. You know, when I first began uh, my em employment with them, Claire Brofman um, and Sarah Brofman, neither Seagram's heiresses who were members of the group um, were funding the, my salary which uh, it's no secret, I've admitted this many times, my payment was $75,000 per month for my services. <clears throat> and, um, you know, they expected premier work, and I gave them premier work. One of the things they asked me to do, Mike, was to uh, take some of the classes, the Nexium classes. And I, um, I said, that's not part of the deal. I won't be taking any classes. I don't need to take classes. In fact, I could teach you children some classes. If you want to learn, sit down, sit at my feet, and I'll teach you something. So they waived their normal requirement of uh, attending classes in my case. I think it was the only consultant that didn't take classes. How, how, did, they, how did they find you initially? Uh, There's the name Roger Stone. Ring a bell. I'll say. Roger Stone was one of their consultants, and he reached out to uh, Steve Pigeon, a Democratic operative. Roger's a Republican, as you know. And they recruited me to um, serve as a publicist because they thought that I could do um, something to help this group's image get turned around. They were, at the time, experiencing some bad publicity, uh, nothing nearly as bad as what they were later to experience at my hands. But even at the time, they were being called a uh, group that people were calling a cult. You know, Nexium as an organization, I headlined the news for uh, so many years now. Uh, on the surface, it was this personal and professional development company that that became famous for its uh, executive success programs. Help us understand the organization and what its leadership was by uh, just kind of describing what Nexium is. Well, you know, it's a very interesting question that you pose because I've studied it now in, in three ways. One, as its publicist. Secondly, as its arch enemy, the man that most people who are still members of Mexium 
consider as the guy that brought the cult down. And then I've had the great pleasure of knowing some of the people that are still loyal to Keith Raniere. That is, there are still a number of people who believe that what Nexium had to offer was good. And here's the astonishing thing, Mike, and something I think we have to remember about cults or groups that are high control. A lot of the people are awfully good people. The members are not a group of nefarious monsters. In fact, just the opposite. Some of the most delightful people I've met in my life are members of Nexium, past and present. So it was a community. There is this warm community where through um, commonality, through common bonds, they grow very fond of each other. And except for the very upper high rank members, this is a very warm and welcoming community. And when you first uh, enter it, you are treated with an extraordinary measure of uh, goodwill, uh, affection. Uh, you're invited into a world of intelligent and good-looking people, uh, predominantly female. And um, not a group of dummies, not a group of zombies. You would never, if you were to see them on the street or at a coffee shop, you would not think for a second, oh, that is a cult member. You know, this is really interesting. I think of my own experiences of investigating cults and dealing with these uh, personalities that are at the leadership level within them. Uh, this this common theme of as you are introduced into a group, uh, the terminology I hear a lot is the love bombing that goes on. The fact that you now are part of a really special group, an elite group that and you are really lucky to be a part of this. Well, I think a lot of people do accept that kind of love bombing, as you say. Um, I think, I think some of it's genuine though. I think some of it's really, Hey, welcome into our, our group. We want you with us. Well, and I, I have to imagine, I mean, at the at the rate they were paying you, they sought you out, they they uh, gave up on some of the ideology they have that you needed to go through classes and other things. They were pretty excited to have you, and that had to have been a real um, ego boost for you as well to be accepted by an organization like that to be their publicist. Well, I think... Um Generally speaking, wherever I go, uh, people are glad to have me. Uh, present company, I hope, uh, are not excluded. <laughs> you are correct, sir. <laughs> um, but yes, it was not a, an unappealing thing to have wherever I went in their organization to have 10 or 12 um, attractive young women um, eager and ready to uh, assist in any of the endeavors that I might call upon them. I think they gave me a staff of 22 people. Um, they provided a 10,000 square foot manor house for me, a country place with servants to uh, operate out of as my headquarters. And um, they spared no expense to make me comfortable. 
And I think I returned the favor because not only did I turn their publicity around, but I uncovered during the um, my work there that the Brofmans were being robbed by an investor. And I went to California and I recovered $26 million for them oh in stolen uh, assets. <laughs> I, I, is there any way to kind of put a number to how many members were members of Nexium? Yes, there is. There's levels of membership. Okay. So, you know, I, I mentioned there was 105 women in this sorority. There was probably a couple hundred, I'd say maybe as many as 400 other strong members. And then there were maybe thousands who have taken the classes, but you wouldn't really call them members. So it was kind of like a, a funnel, right? At the top were everyone who took the classes. And then they would uh, be people who take a second class or a third class. And ultimately, they would be looking for the people who wanted to give up their other work and become full-time trainers and recruiters for Nexium. And that would be essentially uh, what you would call membership, real membership. You'd be a coach, you'd be a, then a proctor, then a uh, a trainer. Now, in most organizations, those are paid <laughs> positions. Is that the case among <laughs> Nexium and uh, and for for the general lay member, what were they required to invest over time? Well, the courses cost anywhere from two to $5,000 per course. And it was an endless curriculum. You never graduate. There's always new courses. So over the course of uh, 10 years, you'd spend um, several hundred thousand dollars. And, and uh, like some people would take a couple courses a year, right? So, and they thought they got benefit. And I think a lot of people did get benefit. There, there were good things in the course. I believe, you yeah. know, I never took one, but I could tell from the curriculum. We talk a lot about these legitimate organizations and illegitimate <laughs> organizations. I mean, what you're describing right now is not any different than, than a lot of other self-help programs where people invest in, and uh, try to get, uh, get their lives ahead of where they are. You know, at here at, Profiling Evil in season two, we're actually focusing on what we call cults among us. So it really makes me ask this question, Frank, do you think Nexium is a cult? And if you do, why? Well, you know, I've thought about this a lot, uh, Mike. I don't know if really if we have a consensus on what a cult is. Um. Edgar Brothman Sr., the father of the Seagram's heiresses, was maybe the first person to declare that he thinks Nexium is a cult. And that appeared in a uh, magazine article on the cover of Forbes magazine in October of 2003. And ever since then, they were trying to live down that idea of being a cult. Uh, again, what is a cult? Do we have a, a, a do we have a consensus on what a cult is, Mike? What, how would you define a cult? You, you know, I look to the experts. Uh, I know my own experience of what I 
having investigated cults uh, that deal primarily with religion and and uh, the experts would say that there you know there are many things that are cults i mean a, a love of the green bay packers can be considered a cult if you're wearing their clothing you're buying things from them the it it takes up all of your conversation uh, mainstream religion in some people's minds would be uh cult behaviors uh new religions would be considered cult behaviors and the thing that i like so much about Experts like Rick Ross or uh, Yanya Lalik is that they have helped us kind of fine tune that what we really need to do is focus on whether a cult or an organization is legitimate in what it does. It allows freedoms. It allows people to come and go to to uh, speak openly about it. And then you have what they determined or called, and I really like this term, destructive cults or those that that become uh, controlling. So maybe what I should do is kind of ask that question again. Frank, would you think that Nexium is a destructive cult? And if so, why? Well, Nexium per se might not be a destructive cult. That is, if you were to simply judge it by its principles and by its teachings, In and of itself, it might not be destructive. It might even be um, benign. However, it's my belief that the leader of Nexium, the founder, the man who um, guided every bit of it, he lived for the one pleasure in his life, which was to destroy other people's happiness. At one time, I think he was probably confused about his existence. He, I believe, thought he was just a sex addict. That is that he must have sex constantly and ferociously and unceasingly with one partner after another. But I think that at some point he realized that that did not bring him happiness. In fact, it made him very tired. And then he found the little secret thrill that gave him um, his true meaning in life, which was to destroy the happiness of other individuals. And what better way to do that than to act like you are a benign force, that you are trying to guide people and make them better and use your incredible intelligence, which he has. And, um, pretend to build up people and actually enslave them and ultimately ruin their lives. And if they stayed with him, he'd ruin their lives one way. If they tried to leave him, he would try to destroy them in another way. But his God-blessed talents that he got, his incredible intelligence, his ability to read humans like very few people on earth have the talent to do. And he used it to pretend to love them while secretly plotting their destruction. You know, just as you were talking, one of the things that we often talk about in the process of profiling and looking at criminal behavior is this um, this compelling need for these predators to have power, dominion, and control. And uh, as you're talking, I'm I'm just I'm just having that 
reverberating in my brain, power, dominion, and control. And I remember listening to a talk once, and uh, the talk was just titled, When Your Strengths Become Your Weaknesses. And I feel like I'm hearing that again. Um, I think you, um, I think you peg that very nicely. Um, dominion. He insisted on dominion over the people, but it was a very subtle kind of dominion because what he would do is he'd get his women to be his enforcers, while he was the gentle, loving. He called himself vanguard. He was the gentle creature who only loved, but the women would then, he'd set his inner circle women to punish and to uh, act like a wolf pack to bring any um, recalcitrant people back into the fold or else. He practiced uh, shunning people. He practiced uh, punishing them in various ways. And of course, once he got his slave group together, the punishments became more extreme, which included paddling, naked paddling. And they had even, uh, when I busted up the group, they had even purchased a dungeon for locking some of the slaves in a basement. Absolutely incredible. I I mean, Frank, uh, when I look back on your career, I'm really awestruck at times that your journalistic work has been cited in so many news outlets, places like the New York Times, the Daily Mail, CBS, Fox, and New York Post. I mean, the the list just goes on and on and on. But not only that, your expertise in this area uh, has, has been accepted globally, especially with the takedown of Nexium. It's been featured in books like uh, Captive by Catherine Oxenberg, and, and there are just other books too. But but you've also been featured prominently on the HBO docuseries The Vow, and and uh, folks, please go out and watch that if you really want to understand this thing. Uh, you, I think you were the lead investigator and the producer for uh, Investigations Discoveries program as well, weren't you? That's correct, Joe. The Lost Women of Nexium, where we explored potentially the murders of several women connected with Keith Maneri. He's never been charged with murder. We haven't proven our case yet, but I think it's quite possible that several women died because of his um, his efforts. <laughs> well... I mean, I'm I'm saying all this about you because it's really important for our investi- our uh, listeners to understand that you're an expert, an insider on Nexium. Uh, in fact, you know what? I've I've read a bunch of accounts where you've been credited with saving these, uh, for lack of a better term, slave women from being branded and escaped. Uh, they were later able to escape this sex slave cult that was internally known as DOS. Now, explain how DOS fit into Nexium, and uh, and as you do that, I just want you to know, I, I just really, as someone who spent a lifetime in criminal justice, I just, I just want to thank you for having the courage to stand up against those people who couldn't defend themselves. Well, thank you, Mike. Um, 
In 2015, Keith Raniere's prime, uh, what I call wing woman, Pamela Kayfritz, she was an heiress uh, of the well-to-do Kayfritz family of Washington, D.C., contracted cancer. And now her talent was always recruiting young women for Raniere's bedroom. And she was now stricken with cancer and was no longer able to um, procure young ladies. And uh, some of the other women tried their best to get him young ladies, but they weren't really quite as good. Ranieri never met a woman directly. It was always um, women would talk about him. They'd go to a class. They would say to, to the young, uh, approachable woman, you are really smart and you really look like you could make it in, in the upper ranks of Nexium. How would you like to meet Keith himself? So he never really met any women directly until there was a significant buildup. Uh, and Pamela Kayfritz was the main uh, procurer for her. She was ill with cancer. He finally came up with an idea. I've got a great idea now, he thinks. I'm going to have a master-slave group where I will be the ultimate master. I'll have eight of my harem be my first-line uh, masters, and they'll go out and recruit other women, but they won't tell them that I'm the secret leader of the sorority. We'll call it a woman's empowerment group. We're going to make women more powerful by <clears throat> making them slaves. So his eight women go out and they start recruiting women and these women recruit women. Nobody knows except the eight that Keith is at the head of the, um, he's the master. Now he starts handing out orders. And in this group, you have to give blackmail material. They call it collateral. So everybody has to obey their master. Now he starts handing out orders that the women have to be assigned to seduce him. And this is how he got into trouble, because the feds call that sex trafficking. <laughs> uh, you know, are there parallels with the grooming that we've seen now with the conviction of Galen Maxwell and, of course, Jeffrey Epstein and, and the way that she would groom those children and get them into into uh his bedroom. I feel like we're just uh, as as different as these groups like to think they are. They're they just all are kind of the same, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. There's not. There's only a certain number of ways to, I suppose, to cheat people, to seduce them, to um, coerce them, and defraud them. I think you find more variety in goodness than you do in evil. Evil's kind of a. Uh, um, more simple track. I really like that. In fact, I may quote you on that in the future, Frank, because it really is interesting. Is and I, I use that phrase a lot. Of as different as they are, they're very much the same, you know. And uh, it really is interesting. Well, folks, we're talking with Frank Parlato, an investigative journalist and insider for now in prison, Keith Ranieri the leader of Nexium. Frank is credited with exposing the now imprisoned leader who was convicted in June of 2019 for federal crimes, including sex trafficking of children. 
conspiracy and conspiracy to commit forced labor. These convictions were related to the secret society within Nexium known as DOS or the Val. Now, now Frank, you, you and I have talked a lot about the differences and similarities between this cult and cults that I've investigated. But in your opinion, what do you think it was that really made this organization a cult? Well, if it is a cult, if we can, if we want to agree and call it a cult, I think what would make it a cult or at least a destructive cult was the monomaniacal desires of the leader, Keith Raniere, to have absolute obedience. And almost like a Sicilian godfather, he would not permit any affront to his uh, respect. And if he wasn't respected or if he wasn't obeyed, he would find a means and a method to punish that individual. And many times, like a Sicilian godfather, he wouldn't even let the person know that he was planning to punish them. But punish them he would. So I think what made it a cult more than anything, and I guess you could say maybe the mafia's a cult too, <clears throat> is that he would um, demand obedience and extract punishment. He couldn't let people go. He wouldn't let them go. He had to punish them. Maybe if he let people quit, it wouldn't be a cult. If, he, if people could just come and go and take the good, and if they didn't see something that he wanted to give to be able to leave, maybe it wouldn't be a cult. Maybe with him in prison, maybe they'll start it again, and maybe it won't be a cult. I don't know. What what were the worst things you discovered as you investigated Nexium? Well, the first thing that I discovered that really <clears throat> offended me was his son. He denied paternity of the son. Not only did he deny paternity of the son, he had his uh, the mother deny her maternity. They pretended that this boy, which was their child, um, was a foundling. And I exposed that, and that caused some trouble because he had not wanted anybody to know that he was sleeping around with all these different women and getting him pregnant. Most of the women got abortions. But this one missed, and this woman went to full term and had a baby son. Uh, <clears throat> one of the things that disturbed me is all the women that lived with him wound up getting cancer. That is, the women who lived with him in his house all got cancer, but he was healthy as a an ox. And uh, when I did the hair test of one of the women who got cancer, we found that she had been poisoned. Over the years, she had been poisoned. Um, I think it's quite possible that he poisoned the women that lived with him. Um, it could be a coincidence that they all got cancer. Even the cats in the house got cancer. He was the only one that didn't. Um, then there was the case of Gina Hutchinson, a young woman that he had uh, raped when she was 14, who wound up, wound up uh, committing suicide. And uh, it was just shortly after uh, he saw her. And I think he, if she did commit suicide, she wasn't murdered. I think he planted the idea in her head. 
Uh, then there was 12-year-old Rhiannon, who he raped 60 times. I can't say that that was not one of his worst offenses. She wound up running away from home because she didn't want to be raped anymore by him. He was her mother's employer. She wound up getting cancer, strangely enough, and uh, happily she was put in a home for children and she recovered. And she has spoken out to this day about what he did to her. Um, <clears throat> then there's the case of Kristen Snyder, a woman who claimed that she was pregnant with Keith Raniere at a time when he was saying that he was a celibate monk. And uh, she cried out in classes that she was pregnant. He was the father. And lo and behold, she was ejected from class. And she was never seen again. There was a note found in her car, a suicide note. This is in Alaska on Resurrection Bay in remote Seward, Alaska, in a missing kayak. And it was maintained that she paddled out to sea and killed herself. But no one ever found her body. I went up to Alaska. We couldn't even find any remnants or anything that would suggest that she actually was on that canoe. She may have been abducted and killed. These are some of the things that I think are maybe the worst things, but there's plenty more. Folks, I'm talking with Frank Parlato, an investigative journalist and former publicist to Nexium's Keith Ranieri. If you're finding this discussion on cults to be of interest, I hope that you'll go out and pick up my book, Deceived, an investigative memoir of the Zion Society cult. It chronicles my investigation and ultimate takedown of a ritualistic uh, religious cult that was committing thousands of sexual assaults against the members. In it, we explore the tactics cult leaders use to recruit and exploit their members. So I hope you'll consider purchasing it today. You can find hardbound copies at ProfilingEvil.com, or you can get the book anywhere in the world on Amazon. Now, let's get back to the podcast. Frank, my experience has been that while many of the participants in these destructive cults are cruel and narcissistic predators, there's also a ton of really good people. And you've kind of talked a little bit about that. Um, th these are great people, actually, that get caught up in the ideology. Tell us a little bit about the good people you knew who were victimized there. Well, you know, um, some of these very good people still do not to this day believe they've been victimized. I'm thinking of one, an actress, Nikki Klein. She's still a staunch adherent. Uh, and a follower of Keith Raniere's. And she's a beautiful woman, a lovely personality, and a warm-hearted human being. And to this day, she defends Keith Raniere. She goes uh, on podcasts. She uh, publishes articles. She makes videos defending the branding, defending the blackmail-worthy material that they call collateral, saying that it helped bring discipline. So what I've learned from all of this is that there are people who see the world differently than I do. And I accept the, uh, you know, I accept her judgment. She's not a victim and she's not a victim. She got something good out of it, then so be it. Um, a lot of people don't feel the same way. A lot of people turned on Keith Raniere. Thousands of people who cross paths with him turned on him, but he still has many followers. 
most of those people, I'd say, are very good people who intend to be honest and who intend to live in a world without harming to the extent that it's possible to not harm others. You, you've become really close with a number of them. You've helped them get family members out. Uh, you, you've been involved really deeply. Uh, anything there that you would like to share? I think the thing that struck me, Mike, is the amount of pain that one rascal caused so many people. I think he just um, succeeded with his ambition. He destroyed the happiness of a lot of people. And he did it in a way without doing physical violence for the most part. You know, I think if we accept that he may not be responsible for the deaths, but he caused a lot of people pain through their minds. And so I saw a lot of tears. The other thing I saw that I think was important is that I think that some of the the methods that the prosecution used in convicting him were a little bit suspect. I'm not saying he wasn't an evil that needed to be stopped. But I do think that in some of the uh, charges, they were a little bit um, extreme. And uh, I would have liked a little more precision in the way it was prosecuted. When when we look at criminal cases, uh, I often talk about the importance of victimology or the study of who the victim is. Likewise, it, it's really important to understand who the suspect is, or we call it suspectology, trying to make it sound really important, I guess. But uh, tell us who Keith Ranieri is and, and what he was like. Keith is not a physically imposing man. He's about five foot five. Um, not pr- particularly well-kept. Yeah, he often let his hair grow, his beard grow. Sometimes he'd cut his hair, sometimes he wouldn't. He wasn't known to um, dress well. He just dressed very casually. A lot of times he wouldn't wear shoes. Um, Congenial, jokes a lot, uh, soft-spoken, mild-mannered, but with a, a hidden temper. My exchanges with him were always amicable. I considered him kind of like a a good friend and a slightly younger um, guy that I could relate to. I I didn't see him as any awesome, charismatic figure, but I liked him because I didn't know his deeper secrets. So if you met him, you'd find him to be the most unimposing guy. I don't think women would typically look twice at him, except when he came into a room, he was built up as this uh, Mr. Magnificent. The one trick of truth that he pulled off that I think really made his career was in 1989, he managed to get himself in through crookery. Uh, through deception into the 1989 Guinness Book of Records for high IQ. And it was a bit of a gambit, and he pulled it off along with two others. And um, 
He was featured in the 1989 Australian edition of the Guinness Book of Records, just the Australian edition, by the way, of being one of three people who had the highest IQs. Um, Guinness figured out the fraud and they retired the category the next year, so it never appeared again. But for the rest of his career, he was able to go about showing that he was the smartest man in the world. You know, I, um, I, when when I look at uh, these predators, I one of the things I try to explore is the I, I, it's called the personas of their life, and we have three of those. We have our public persona, our private persona, and our secret persona. And that public persona would be. <laughs> This, this charismatic guy that you're talking about that gets up in front of the group and wows them and, and, uh, and then this private side that you got to know that only insiders generally get to know. But then there's this secret side where the devil exists, the place where, and we all have it. We all have thoughts that are inappropriate and we, we push them aside and we move on. But then you have somebody that acts them out. Uh, I, I often think of the book Cults in Our Midst by uh, Dr. Margaret Singer and Dr. Yanya Lalik. Uh, and, of course, I, I just think the world of, of Dr. Lalik. But they, they said this. They said, quote, we know that people can be led to buy almost anything. In addition to buying almost anything, people can apparently be led to believe almost anything. Cults know that if we knew from the get-go what we were in for and why, we would never join. It's as simple as that, close quote. Well, like you were talking about, Nexium wasn't filled with weak and impressionable people. I mean, these were, these were um, people who had been successful, were successful, are successful. Uh, actresses, heiresses, sons and daughters of presidents, uh, how were these folks recruited and what role would they eventually play as influencers in the group? Well, I think the, um, there were three ways to be an influencer. One is to have some prestige or money. Um, you know, the money uh, ran the cult and mainly the Brothman sisters, the heiresses of the Seagram's fortune were the principal funders. I would estimate they threw in at least a hundred million each. <clears throat> uh, then there was people with some prestige, uh, Emiliano Salinas, the son of the president of Mexico, and uh, um, was another important influencer. He ran the Mexican branch, which was maybe more lucrative than the United States branches of Nexium. <clears throat> then there were actresses like Allison Mack, who is now in Dublin Correctional Facility in California, serving a three-year sentence for her role in the Nexium scheme. She was a television star on a TV show called Smallville. Uh, Nikki Klein was an actress uh, in a show called Battle Star Galactica. Uh, Kristen Krupp was an actress who appeared in the television show Smallville alongside of Allison Mack, uh, the latter to escape without any criminal charges. Uh, so you had actresses, you had beautiful women, 
you had uh, you would go to a class and there would be the TV star Kristen Krug in class with you. You had uh, director Mark Vicente. You had uh, Sarah Edmondson, a Canadian actress. You had actresses in um, Mexico. And then you had wealthy women, heiresses, and uh, rich people in these classes. You had uh, mostly not people who had earned the money themselves, but mainly people who had inherited money. I think people who had earned money would be less susceptible, a little more street smart about what was being offered, but the, um, but I can't negate and I will not um, dismiss the claims of people who took the classes who said they genuinely got something out of it. So the influencers were fame and fortune. There always, there always is good and it started good. It just becomes perverted over time in this particular case. Well, power helped, you know, as Keith got more power. I mean, he told me once that he could snap his fingers. We were in Albany, New York, in his lieutenant's house, Nancy Salzman, who's also about to serve a, a three, a four-year sentence. Um, he said, I could snap my fingers, and within 20 minutes, I could have 80 to 100 people meet me anywhere I say to listen to me speak about anything I want. You know, I read somewhere that there was a precedent set in the criminal trial against Ranieri for sex trafficking, forced labor, and crimes of conspiracy. Can you shed some light on that, Frank? Yes, and I can. And in some respects, I think it's a dangerous precedent. Because if you look at the forced labor, um, some of it's pretty pretty weak. Um, by the time the jury got to deliberating, they would have convicted him of anything whatsoever because he was hated. But, I mean, in one case, the one girl, Nicole, her forced labor. And when you think of forced labor, you normally think of people that were required to work for days and years uh, under brutal and gruesome conditions. In the case of Nicole, her forced labor charge was five hours of transcribing uh, something for a memorial for a friend who died. Um, that's not my idea. Yeah. Forced labor. Um, again, the sex trafficking of Nicole was a single incident where she was um, brought to a house. She was blindfolded. She was told to strip. She was tied to a table. And Nicole was asked repeatedly um, if she was okay with what they were doing. And she said she was okay. And there was no money that changed hands. Um, and it was a single incident. And yet they conflated this into sex trafficking. So this is the new precedent. Um, instead of there being a, a causal relationship between the sex act and, and some monetary gain, they threw that out the window. And what the judge did in this case is he did not give the jury the pattern or standard instruction for sex trafficking. So consequently, anytime, theoretically, anytime that anybody um, gets someone to have sex and somebody else gets some kind of benefit, it doesn't even have to be monetary, it could now be construed as using the Ranieri precedent, sex trafficking.
you, you know, I missed that. And now you're making me wonder, will there be an appeal based on that failure to provide jury instruction there? That's, that's part of the appeal. Yeah. It's part of Ranieri's appeal. I think it's a very strong part of his appeal. Because I don't think I've ever heard of a sex trafficking case that boiled down to a single incident um, where the woman ostensibly consented beforehand, during, and even after, and um, where no money changed hands and it became sex trafficking. The prosecution's theory was that Ranieri had held because she was part of this DOS crew, um, blackmail-worthy material over her so that she was incapable of consent. Interesting. Because now, I, I of the previous that, requirement to provide blackmail material, then she couldn't have said no, is what their argument is. I, I think it's a wrong application, Mike. I don't think it's sex trafficking. This is my opinion. It could be blackmail, it could be uh, state law extortion. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think it's sex trafficking. I think the expansion of sex trafficking in this case uh, prevent uh, presents some uh, um, opportunities for prosecutors to expand on sex trafficking to what would be normal, uh, unusual, but not criminal sexual activities. Yeah, I, that's really interesting. In uh, Nexium's case, there was a, a blurred line that also existed between who the victims were and who the predators were. And I've watched this phenomenon in other occults where the victims get groomed and eventually become the offender. I think Glenn Maxwell could be an example of that. Uh, although I don't, I don't know that I can firmly say that, but but she, would, in my opinion, was groomed and became a groomer. Uh, how do you separate victims and predators? And are there clear-cut lines, in your opinion? You know, that's a great question. I mean, I, I could make the argument that Ranieri's a victim because it's, in my opinion, that he was molested by his mother when he was so young. Wow. Repeatedly sexually abused by his mother and maybe by others. Um, so is he a victim? Well, certainly, uh, he's a perpetrator. Uh, sometimes I like to fancy, like, giving uh, ratios for victim-victimizer. You know, is this person 50% victim and 50% victimizer? Is this one 75%? Is this one 100% victim? Um, Indy Oxenberg rose to fame, and she's certainly a victim. But when she was in the group... That was Catherine's daughter uh, that sparked this whole thing. She recruited a couple of slaves herself and even ordered one to seduce Ranieri. But I think she's a victim. Yeah. Where do you draw the line? Frank, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk about this stuff. I'd like, if you could, for you to share where people can follow you and learn more about Nexium and things that you are talking about in things like the Frank Report, which, by the way, I love. Uh, I think you're also going to launch a YouTube channel soon. Tell us where people can find you. Well, uh, frankreport.com is where I publish a lot of my articles. And that's uh, available, uh, usually new articles every day. I have been talking about 
I think I went as far as actually getting a uh, Frank Report channel, uh, which I think has one subscriber, me. Uh, but at some point, I think I'm going to start to release some of my Nexium. I have a large archive of Nexium videos. I'd like to maybe do something like a Nexium Explained uh, for people who are interested. There seems to be a lot of people. Um, my understanding is the Vow Season 2 on HBO will be coming out, I believe it's in March. And uh, that should offer people insight into Nexium if they're interested in learning a little bit more. Pretty good, uh, two pretty good producers have uh, put that uh, project and season one was quite impressive. Yeah, I'll say. Well, I want you to check your subscriber list after this runs because I guarantee there will be at least two per subscribers on your new YouTube channel, because I'll be that second subscriber. Uh, <laughs> that'll be fun to watch what happens with that. Hey, folks, I want to thank Frank Perlato for taking time to talk about this complex and I think at times difficult subject. You know, Frank, I, I don't know, some stories are just really hard to talk about, but it doesn't mean that the story shouldn't be told. And I think Nexium is one of those stories to ignore it, avoid it, pretend that it didn't occur is not helpful to victims, to potential victims or society in general. I really believe that awareness is the first step to healing and protecting victims and ultimately bringing perpetrators to justice. What are your thoughts? Well, I do think transparency and open discussion, and I'll take it a step farther if I can, Mike. I did the very first interview with Keith Raniere after he was imprisoned. I did it for NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt, and I interviewed Keith. He chose me to be the very first person he wanted to speak to after he was convicted. And a lot of people said that I shouldn't give him his voice. But I disagree. I think we want to hear from everybody, and let's, in case we're wrong, in case we're not Mr. Know-alls, and that we may have missed something. I want to hear from everybody. Well, I, I I think if you would provide me the link, we'll put that down below so that people can go to that interview and watch that. They called him Vanguard, the founder of Nexium, a shadowy self-help organization described by federal prosecutors as cult-like. Keith Ranieri has not spoken publicly since his arrest more than two years ago. But now, just days from being sentenced on federal charges, he is talking. You know, one of the things that's most important in our country is the justice system. And although, you know, people can hate me and do and think I'm an odious type of a character, you know, awful, actually, um, they both the devil and the saint should be able to get the exact same treatment under our justice system. Today, Ranieri spoke with, of all people, the man who helped bring him down, web journalist Frank Parlato, a former Nexium spokesman. Parlato himself has pleaded not guilty to tax and other charges that originated from his Nexium involvement. You plan out 14 steps ahead. If you have seen the HBO docuseries The Vow, Parlato's name may ring a bell. Parlato broke the story that a group within Nexium was treating women as sex slaves and branding them with Ranieri's initials. Ranieri was convicted in 2019 of sex trafficking, forced labor conspiracy, and racketeering. Do you intend to um, make a statement at, at your sentencing that you are innocent? 
yes, I am innocent. And although it is, this is a horrible tragedy with many, many people being hurt, I think the main thrust of this has been the oppression, but really a, a different issue, which is hard for me to express. There is a horrible injustice here, and whether you think I'm the devil or not, the justice process has to be examined. But victims and their families don't want to hear from Keith Ranieri. They say he tried to destroy women's lives. Really, these young women, without being aware, were on this runaway roller coaster to hell. And they were completely unaware. And that's where Keith Ranieri was taking them, like, to hell. Ranieri is now accusing federal prosecutors of misconduct, alleging evidence tampering. An NBC News producer took part in the Ranieri interview. I apologize for my participation in all of this, this pain and suffering. I've clearly participated. I've been the leader of the community. Ranieri could face life in prison when he's sentenced on Tuesday. A judge will consider impact statements from over 100 victims. Stephanie Gosk, NBC News, New York. I, I, like you, think that we should talk to the experts and learn from the experts. And while we can theorize, and you are an expert in this area, I was an expert in cults in the area that I worked, but the predator is the true expert and we really need when they're willing to share to, to ask and try to glean what we can from them. So again, Frank, thank you. And to everybody out there, thanks for listening to profiling evil podcast season two cults among us. You can find profiling evil podcasts on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget folks, hit the like and subscribe button so that you get all of our notifications on videos like this one from Profiling Evil. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And, of course, go to our website at profilingevil.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you all soon at the next crime scene. Hey folks, it's Mike from Profiling Evil. I've been studying criminal behavior for more than 40 years, and one of my favorite research tools is Truthfinder. It's online, and you're not going to believe the information stored there. So if you want to know more about that new neighbor, your babysitter, or your online date, give Truthfinder a try. I'm including a special link below with special discount pricing, but you got to click the link and enter Evil 10 at checkout. Now, we're an affiliate, which means we get a small commission, but you can cancel at any time.